Never take for granted the fact that we get to communicate with God and we know that He hears us. That thought alone is just amazing that uh, we have a direct access to Jesus all the time. Pretty amazing. Well, thank you for allowing me to, to be gone last Sunday. Today, this Sunday's message is the Transfiguration, which on the church calendar was last Sunday, but I got sick, and then, you know, it's always great when your, uh, your backup hitter is Babe Ruth. So you got to hear Dad, and that was wonderful. Um, praise God for that. Now, <clears throat> i got a serious question to ask you. Why didn't they play cards on Noah's Ark? Because Noah... You guys are reading my notes. i got to hide these things. Noah was always standing on the deck. Right. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Do you know what humanity has longed for? More than anything for centuries. A bridge. We've longed for a bridge. You know, we've, we've seen what's happening in Ukraine and other places, and, and the, there's, there's this... Uh, blowing up of bridges, keeping the Russian forces on one side before they can cross the other. Bridges are so essential. I've got a bridge right by my house on Halleck Road, right? That uh, above, we've had so many accidents there as they've worked to repair this bridge. Bridges are so essential to our life. And um, the bridge that we've longed for is this connection between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. And uh, after the flood... Um, if you know your biblical history, humanity tried to create this bridge. And that's what the Tower of Babel is all about, is humanity joined together, trying to create a bridge between earth and heaven, trying to get to God. And, and we, if you know the story, God kind of says, what's going on down there? And the scripture uses graphic language and says he stooped down to see what was going on and then graciously confused our language. Uh, but we also see in Jacob's story, when he has this dream at Bethel, when he has... Uh, lost everything by be betraying his brother and stealing his birthright and blessing, and, and he's fleeing for his life, and he's got nothing but a rock for a pillow. God gives him this vision of a, a ladder or a, a stairway to heaven where the angels are ascending and descending, and, and God is at the, at the top of the stairs. And so there's been this longing in us for all these centuries. Um, but that longing, guys, I think this longing for a bridge is, is a, a longing for completion and eternity. The reason that we believe perfection is a reality is because we desire it. If perfection weren't possible, we wouldn't desire it. We long for things to be right. It's a longing for eternity. And now, most of our bridges, of course, fall far shorter than our desires, um, even most of the, the, the most famous and richest people are lost to the sands of time. All our best efforts leave us far shorter than getting close to reclaiming what sin took away. But I love that's what the gospel is all about. That's why the gospel is so good. That's why we have to share the gospel because our longing and desire is the same as everyone else in the rest of the world. The good news of Jesus Christ tells us that we don't have to waste our lives trying to build a bridge that leads to nowhere. It's impossible. Instead, Jesus already built the bridge. Sin had separated us from God, from eternity, and everything we wanted to be. And we were impossibly lost. And we couldn't climb to God, so He stretched down to us. Connecting heaven and earth with His outstretched arms on a rough wooden cross, with Neil piercing His fragile flesh. And so, 
That's the point. That's why Jesus came to earth. If you studied the Gospels, you know he healed people. He delivered people from demons. He raised the dead. All of these kinds of things. But all of those miracles are temporary uh, fixes that don't solve the real problem. The broken bridge. And uh, they were just ways of Jesus telling us that I'm capable of this. Uh, in my Bible class, my 7th and 8th grade Bible class here at Covenant School, we've been studying the book of Mark. And, and Mark 2 has the guy that was dropped through the roof, right? By his friends. And, and it says that Jesus looks on him in love. And, and in this look of love, he says, Wow, you're forgiven of your sins. And you read that story and you think, what would I think if I was one of those friends? We just hauled our buddy up here on a roof, tore off a roof, dropped him down, and you're going to forgive his sins? What about healing his body? But that's not what the passage says. It says that the scribes and Pharisees in the room look mockingly at Jesus in their heart and say, only God can forgive sins. And that's what Jesus says. He says, so you believe I have the power to forgive sins? Get up, pick up your mat, and go home. The greatest healing of all is the forgiveness of sins that enables us to cross the bridge of the cross into eternity with Jesus. And so as Jesus was reaching the last couple months before he would die for the sins of the world to create that bridge, he starts preparing his disciples. Matthew 16, 21-28. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him, saying such things, reprimand him saying such things like, Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I want to tell you that in this one passage, Jesus explodes every bridge we have tried to build to establish our life upon. His solution is so jarring that it causes Peter to scold Jesus. Can you imagine trying to scold Jesus? But Peter is always reactionary. He's always the guy that leaps and then looks. He's that guy that is just so emotion-driven that he just, ah! He doesn't process what Jesus is saying. But we shouldn't blame Peter or get mad at Peter because all of humanity has given Peter his perspective to the problem of the bridge issue and the same perspective that we've been born into. We live for as much power or might or influence or pleasure or respect or money or fame that we can control in life. That's what everybody tells you. It's what every commercial tells you, every TV show tells you, everything, every educational institution says this is how to build the bridge. Before Peter stands the Messiah, 
God in human flesh. All of humanity has been waiting for Him to show up on the scene since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And so from Peter's perspective, he's come to establish his rule and reign forever. He's going to deliver Israel from Rome and all their oppressors and all the true believers will finally receive what they've been been longing for. That's who Jesus is to Peter. Boom. Not a firecracker. Not some sort of M80. Not a mortar. Not even napalm. Jesus drops an atomic bomb on Peter's perspective in that instant. The bad guys are going to win, Peter. I'm going to suffer even more injustice than I have up until now. You remember even my hometown tried to push me off a cliff. The religious leaders aren't going to accept me. They're going to reject me, and they're going to put me to death, and I'm going to die. Now, he also says he's going to rise again in three days. But if you're Peter, and your whole worldview has been exploded, I don't think he heard that last sentence. I think he's still stuck on the fact that the bad guys win. That Jesus is going to suffer and die. And he's struggling with that. This isn't how the bridge between heaven and earth was supposed to be built. Jesus answers his rebuke with a stronger rebuke, showing that Peter's argument is from the pit of hell. I just want to remind you, our viewpoint is limited If we could build our bridge to God, we would have done it by now. And so you got to remember that. Every time that you struggle with God's plan for your life, every time you struggle with God's word, and it stretches you, and, and, and it doesn't seem right or doesn't fit right, but it's right there in black and white, you got to remember, if we could have figured it out on our own, we would have by now. There's been enough cycles in humanity, whether you're a young earth or an old earth perspective, somebody would have figured it out. But the truth is, the way up is down. The way to win is to lose. So that's good news for the Mountaineers right now, right? (laughs) It doesn't take strength of force. It takes strength of surrender. Not only does Jesus say that his death and resurrection is the way he's going to build the bridge, instead he says our way to cross that bridge is very similar. We have to give up our way and completely drop it and instead pick up a cross and carry it daily and follow him. The thing about carrying a cross is you can't carry anything else when you're carrying a cross. It takes a full commitment. You've got to put your back into it. You've got to have your arms completely wrapped around it and push forward. It takes a total commitment of mind and body to daily carry a cross. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, I want you to die for the sins of the world. And he's not even saying, you need to suffer for your own salvation because he's already done all that. The the, the bridge is already built. But the way to the cross is to carry a cross with an attitude of death to self. An attitude of complete surrender. Knowing where our ultimate destination is going to be, but not exactly knowing how we're going to get there. we got to let go of control. In a sense, by saying, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? He's truly saying, why would you go back to your old bridge? 
Leave your hammer and nails there. Leave the lumber there. All your supply there. I don't need any of it. The bridge that I've already built only has three nails and that's enough. Just pick up your cross and follow me. Take nothing of the old life. Just a a complete surrender and pursuit of me. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom, the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. I don't know if you're like me, but when I've read this last verse, it seems so cryptic, right? Because when Jesus does come again, it's going to be that second coming. The trumpet blast, the angels, the heaven's army showing up, and Jesus returning. And I, that's what I'm thinking when I read, some of you will not die before the Son of Man comes in His glory. That's what I, that's what I keep thinking. And, and it's how I studied it. Now, if we look at the book of Acts and, and, and church history, we do realize that Stephen when he was martyred, saw Jesus in all, his, all of his glory. We're not sure exactly when Stephen started following Jesus. Acts uh, 1 alludes to the fact that there were others that followed Jesus throughout his whole ministry, but were not part of the 12. That's how they chose the replacement for Judas. And so Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So he saw him in his glory. Or he could be alluding to John. You know, the, the youngest disciple, because John actually wrote the book of Revelation as he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And so in his vision, he saw the end times. He saw the full glory of God. That might be what he's alluding to as well. But I think it might be very possible that Jesus was referring to something that happened six days later. Matthew 17, 1-13. through 13. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up, up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. This important moment that we call the transfiguration is the moment that the bridge is finally seen by human eyes. The transcendent God in His glory connecting fully with humanity. That's the importance of this moment. If you've ever wondered what's the significance of the transfiguration, it's that God in His glory is seen completely. Yes, Jesus hasn't literally died on the cross yet, but He's giving Him a glimpse of what we've desired for centuries. Humanity. 
Moses and Elijah directly communicating with God in all his glory. And it's amazing. These three disciples are witnesses to the bridge come to life. Yes, it's just a glimpse. And they can't stay there. As Peter suggests, because Jesus hadn't suffered our death on the cross and risen yet. But they're still witnessing the Son of Man coming into His kingdom. Can you imagine what that moment's like? I, I, that's the part of Scripture. When you study the Bible on your own, this is where you've got to ask yourself questions and go a little deeper. Because you can read stuff like this and go like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go about the rest of my day. But let's just think like a disciple for a second. You've spent months, a couple years, with Jesus. You've looked into his face countless times. You've eaten meals with him. He's probably burped around you. I mean, you, you, you've been around this guy. You know, you know, you, you probably bathed in the Jordan River with him. You probably know where his beauty marks are and, and where, how much chest hair he has. All of this stuff. You've seen him. And in this moment, he's glorified and he's so bright you can't even look at him. And then you're like, whoa. <laughs> Who's this guy that we've been around all this time? Yeah, he's the Messiah, but whoa! I mean, it's, how do we wrap our minds around it, much less them? This moment is so essential that it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And each passage is preceded by the first passage that we studied this morning. So the two are connected. That's why I started there. Not only does Jesus reveal his eternal glory to these three witnesses, but then he's appeared talking to Moses and Elijah. Now, my stupid question is, how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? It's not like they had photographs back then. It's not like Elijah's wearing a shirt that says, I'm with Moses. And Moses is wearing a shirt that says, I'm with Elijah. You know, how do they know this is Mo However, they knew they knew. Given <coughs> the talk they just had with Jesus six days prior, Jesus is actually showing them two individuals that have already crossed the bridge into glory, talking to the one who was the bridge. And when we consider his challenge to pick up their cross and follow him, here stands Moses and Elijah who's just done it. Listen, I read that previous passage about picking up my cross and following Jesus, and I think, ugh, <laughs> life is hard enough. I, I, I want to take some of my old life with me. I, I, I want some of the comforts of this world. I, I, I don't want to do what he's calling me to do. And then there's Moses and Elijah. Well, let's just remember who Moses is for a second. Moses was a failure by the age of 40. An utter and complete failure. He tried to lead a revolution of his people against the Egyptians and failed so miserably that he had to run away in exile and took care of dumb sheep for 40 years till he was 80 years old in the desert. And after those 40 years in the desert, at the age of 80, God says, you're ready. Now I'm going to give you another 40 years to take care of dumb people in the desert who will be angry at you and be angry at me and fight. In fact, that first generation is going to die off in the desert because they're not ready for the promised land. You're going to have to deal with resentful and obstinate people. And then look at Elijah. He stood for God in a culture that was entirely pagan. You know who, whose king and queen were? Ahab and Jezebel. We think we got a bad? 
he had a bad. And he, he showed that God was victorious over all the, the, the priests of Baal and then ended up in a ditch fed by ravens. These guys carried a heavy cross to follow Jesus and they made it. And here they are. Then you have the prophecy from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, my question is why, why these two people? Out of all the people, through all of Israel's history, throughout all biblical Old Testament history, why these two guys? Elijah, to me, makes a sense because he never died. As we know, he was a prophet that was lifted to heaven in a chariot of fire. So he makes sense to me. But why not Abraham? Why not Isaac? Why not Jacob? Why not David? Why not Joshua? There's so many different options. And so this question is, is, is a smart question to me, but it's a dumb question to a traditional Jew. Because to a traditional Jew, there's no one greater than Moses. Moses was the guy that gave them the law, gave them the Torah, that stood on Mount Sinai, had this amazing time with God the Father, and revealed to them what it took to be in relationship with God. Moses was everything to them. In fact, even in their tabernacles, whoever was going to open God's word that day sat in the Moses seat. So Moses, uh, anybody who loved God's word would love Moses. He was the epitome of the law. And Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament who never died. And so these two men represented the law and the prophets. And so in this moment, Jesus was physically representing the reality that he's the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the law, and he's the fulfillment of the prophets, just by these two men talking with him. That's what it would mean to these three men watching this moment. This is him. This is the bridge. Everything we've studied, everything God's conveyed to us throughout the centuries, this is it. I mean, again, a, a jaw-dropping moment. But not only are they watching this intimate conversation between Jesus and Moses and Elijah, I, when you get to heaven, it, I, I don't know, I, I, I might be a little nervous even just talking to Jesus, but I, I think I'll be really excited to listen in on his conversation with other people. That really excites me. But not only are they watching this intimate conversation, but then God the Father speaks directly to them. He says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Three times in Scripture, a similar phrase has been given. The second time is when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac when he's over 100 years old. He basically, by saying sacrifice your son, is sacrifice all your hope for the future in this world. I want you to lay down everything for me. Scripture tells us that um, that that uh, Moses, I mean Abraham, even though he doesn't kill his son, is ready to plunge the knife through his chest so the decision's made, and then God provides a way with a ram caught in the thicket to 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 die in, in place of his son. But the words the the words used in this passage is 
Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to a place where I tell you and sacrifice him there. Which literally the place where he was taking him was Golgotha. That's why it's a specific place. Because that's the place where God's only son whom he loved was going to die for the sins of the whole world. And now here, a third time. Uh, the, The next time that we hear this phrase is at Jesus' baptism, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. John baptizes him. He breaks the surface of the water. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the Father says, This is my Son whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. That's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now we're nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. And guess what? The Father still loves His Son. He's got great joy with Him. It's Him telling them in this moment that what Jesus has done from the beginning of His ministry to this point now is everything He was supposed to do. I'm still proud of Him. He still has everything that I desired Him to do. He's doing the right thing. There's been no problem. And then He says, listen to Him. What did Jesus just tell them recently that they didn't listen to? That he would die. He'd be betrayed by those. The the bad guys would win. He would die and he would rise again in three days. The fact that Jesus was the bridge and he told them how to cross the bridge. That's everything to us, guys. That's the gospel. That's everything. The only way to get to everything that you've ever desired in life is to accept Jesus' death and resurrection for you and cross the bridge. And the way to cross the bridge is not by our power or influence or anything how the world works. It's by a denial of self, pursuing Him with all that we are, and following Him daily. Now the passage ends with them falling on their faces, overwhelmed by what they had seen and heard, and Jesus gently touching them, and as they they peek up, everything's gone back to normal. Elijah and Moses is gone, and Jesus is wearing the clothes of a carpenter that they're used to. Have you ever had an experience with Jesus so great that you didn't want to leave it? For me, I, I remember moments at youth camp where the worship service would go three and four hours, and, and then the last day of youth camp, nobody wants to leave, and, and they said, no, you got to go home because we're out of food, and you gotta, you got to head back. Um, and that's kind of where, that's kind of where Peter and the rest of the disciples are. Let's, let's just stay here. But as they come down off the mountain, there's one simple question they can't wrap their minds around. And it's not the question I would have asked, but it's the question that Peter asks. He says, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Now, the simple answer would be, what we've already read from the book of Malachi. That, uh, that's how the Old Testament ends. That's, that's what our hope is on. Elijah would have to come before the Messiah. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer Then the disciples realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. Let me end with this. Jesus started with revealing that he was the bridge between heaven and earth. The way across was the one of self-surrender and sacrifice to the point of death to self. Again, what does this look like for us? I know I'm, I'm speaking in generalities here. This is what death to self looks like on any given day. 
you wake up in the morning, you thank God that you exist, and then you say, the rest of the day is yours. I have my plans, I'm called to provide for my family, I've got my schedule ahead of me, but Jesus, you have free rule and reign to take me where you want to go. If there's any wicked way in me, if there's anything in my life that is pulling my heart away from you, you have full rule and reign to take it out. And whatever you want to put in, you can put in. Whatever you want to take out. And then you have that conversation with Him throughout the day. And it may feel like a, kind of a ruling kind of thing at first where I'm like, okay, i got to go to God. But that's not what He wants. What He wants is a relationship with you. Not only where you're saying, okay, am I doing this right? He wants you to get to a point where you're just delighting in Him throughout the day. Oh, God, did you see that? He's like, yeah, I created that. Yeah, but it was so cool. Thanks for sharing that with me. You, 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 that's what it means of having this life of walking and surrender. So I know it seems heavy when they use illustrations of carrying a cross because sometimes it feels like a heavy burden. But you've got to remember that God does not call you to carry a cross by yourself. He's with you. He's with you. We're like Simon of Cyrene carrying Christ's cross with him. The second thing is, we get a glimpse of how Jesus is truly the bridge as he's glorified with Moses and Elijah. For them, it would have been amazingly powerful to say, okay, this is reality. What Jesus has told us is reality. He's really in the Messiah. We've seen him in his full glory. We won't soon forget this. For us, we get their testimony of that. We get their testimony of that. But the third point, the disciples realized that the way Jesus is going is the same way their previous rabbi had already gone. The way to cross the bridge to eternity. If you remember, Peter and James and John were all disciples of John the Baptist first. And so in this moment, when they realized that John the Baptist was the Elijah prophesied, everything makes sense. Because prior to this, they probably just thought, what a waste of a life. Our, our, our old master, John the Baptist, was thrown in prison for testifying to the truth and speaking truth to power, and he got beheaded at the whims of a, of a dancing girl with her dad, not so dad. But then they realize, oh, oh. He's up there with Moses and Elijah now. That was the way of the cross. That was lived out before us. We can testify that we know somebody who's crossed the path. And guys, that's why in this season, I want you to be willing to share your testimony. Because the, 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 the crossing of the bridge, even though it's already built and established and Jesus has made a way, crossing that bridge can seem so impossible and so tough and so hard. But when we share our testimonies of victory and our testimonies of journey, we realize, oh, we can do this. We know people who have done it and people who are doing it. A, a, a life of value is not how the world measures it. Let me end with this. This isn't in my notes, but this is something that I love about Jesus. So we, he's got his 12 disciples that he chose, and then he's got Peter, James, and John. And they're like the special three, right? They're the ones he just brings in all the time for all these unique special teachings. Well, we know that, that Peter was the foundation of the church, right? He was, he was the rock. The early church was so dependent on Peter's leadership. We know that John was probably the disciple that lived the longest and gave us the clearest revelation of end times with the book of Revelation. But what did James do? Do you know what James did? 
he was the first disciple martyred. And you'd think of that and you're like, why did Jesus choose to pour so much into this guy when he was going to die so quickly after Jesus did? That makes no sense to the way we view the world. What a waste. Could have picked Nathaniel. He's got a good name. Why not somebody else? Why not another disciple? Because our understanding is not the way that God works. A valuable life is not on the length or the experience or what they can accomplish by the world's measurements. A life worth valued is one that carries a cross for however long God says carry it so that we can show others behind us the path and the way to go. And James, by being the first disciple to be martyred, was saying, here's the end of the race. Maybe longer for you guys, it may be shorter. But hey, I'm having a conversation with the Mo- Moses and Elijah now. I-, I can join them. I don't have to shield my eyes anymore. The cross has made a way for me to be glorified as well. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray, although this side of eternity, none in this room may be able to get that same kind of glimpse of you and your glory. But we can all know as, as a specific fact that the bridge has been built. That no longer do we have to prove ourselves to anyone. No longer do we have to waste our lives away trying to accumulate as much stuff as we can, experience as much as we can, have a certain amount of fame or fortune. None of that matters because we can't take it with us. That's building a bridge that leads to nowhere. Jesus, today, whoever's in this room, wherever we are, your call to us is the same call to the disciples, follow me. So enable us, Lord God, to lay down our hammer and our nails and our building supplies, our tape measures, everything that that has given us worth and value, and help us to just pick up that cross daily and follow you. Thank you for the example of people like Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist who who all had their struggles and, and weren't always perfect, but they still chose to follow you no matter what they faced. Let us be the same way. And God, as we spend this year sharing our testimonies with one another, not just our victories, but also our failures, and, and, and we walk this journey together, locking arm in arm. God, it, it's so much easier to carry a burden when we're not carrying it alone. So help your people to lock arms with each other and carry our cross together. And, and let our testimony shine. Let the gospel shine through us as we have experienced your glory Uh, And and let us do that, God. I want to experience your glory in in special ways, not just to have some emotional connection, because that'll fade. I I even look at Peter and and these guys. They abandon you in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter denied you three times after this. You had to go back to him when he went back to fishing. So experiences, I want a reality in our hearts, Lord. So take us to that next step, that next level. Unify your church. And minister to us as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite the worship team to come forward.